Turn with me to the end of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 12 and the last two verses. May I say this very possibly could be the most powerful and important message. Not because of me, not because of Solomon, but because of the clarity of God's Word in these last closing words that the Holy Spirit inspired to be written. We have preached over 20 some odd messages throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. We have looked at the laboratory of life as Coeleth has compared things of this life, the temporal issues and items of wealth and love uh, and uh, power and esteem and all other trinkets and things of possession. You come to the conclusion, almost 40 times he wrote, this is vanity. This is vain. It's empty. There's no good value in these things. They're temporal and they end. Over and over and over, he seemed to come to a very almost negative conclusion that life is just monotonous and it's empty and we all have days in our lives where we feel absolutely and completely empty because this life seems to not provide any kind of joy or happiness or fulfillment. The things that used to make us happy don't make us happy anymore. The things that we put value in is broken and falling apart. We must hear the words of that song just sung. Solomon come to that conclusion that because there's an unfailing father, that which is above the sun, he often over and over and over through the context of this book, he says life under the sun. He looked at the temporal issues of life and life is full of problems. Life is full of heartache. Life is full of issues. But when Solomon grasped the truth that God is above the sun, above time, above the problems of this life, he saw that there's a life worth living. He said, let us hear the conclusion of the entire or whole matter. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. The wholeness, everything about man is about fearing God and keeping His commandments. For God, hear this. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. God, may you bless the reading of your word today. May our words be few. May they be chosen by you. May we respond to your call on our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, I actually I went a little longer than I attended, and so this week, I want to be very succinct and very to the point. No illustrations, no stories, no history. 
I want us to see that life has a purpose. Life has a purpose. And we are to fulfill it. Life has a purpose. Life has a purpose. Right smack dab in the middle of our life is the cross of Jesus that changes us. Without it, we're just going on the same path that the whole world is. And it's just that, that bubble, that burst that leaves no residue behind. If there's not the cross of Jesus Christ standing between you and eternity, then you are on a headlong path to an eternity void of hope, love, of the presence of that loving Father. Life has a purpose. We all want purpose. That's why Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, sold a gazillion copies. Because people are looking for purpose. They're looking for something to grab hold of. That's why people join motorcycle games. My, some of the best friends I have in this world, right now, at this very moment, are standing, proclaiming the gospel, not in a wooden pulpit in a nice Baptist church. They're standing in the middle of hell on earth. They're standing on the curb of Sturgis. And they're presenting the gospel to people who need to hear about Jesus. People that you and I would be scared to death of just to see them coming. And the horrific depravity during this week of Bike Week in Sturgis is beyond anything I would even mention from this pulpit. And yet they're standing there telling them there's more to hope than being part of a motorcycle group. You know why everybody goes up there and does it? It's because they found a niche where they feel like they fit in. You know why people go to the bar? Because people know their name. Somebody got it. The truth is, you can go into places like that over and over and over and they start a restaurant or anything else. They get to where they memorize what you want. They, they know your patterns. And it makes you feel like somebody cares about you. They know. They know what you like and dislike. They know that if you order a Diet Coke, don't ask, can you have a Diet Pepsi? That Mr. Pibb does not take the place of Dr. Pepper. Okay? They get that. They know that. They know that pattern about your life. And so you can walk in, sit down, and they accept you for who you are. Do we do that? Does the church of the living God, do we know everybody's name in this place? Or do we come in, we want to get entertained, we want to get our part of, i got news for you. I, don't, I hate to burst your bubble, but it is a bursting bubble if you think Eastside is your church. You didn't die for this church, Jesus did. I came the same time the Williams did. We came the same time. I can remember preaching. I remember Ray coming out and getting me. I, 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 I was stayed for a vote before. Ray come out there and he had a little bounce in his step. I don't know if he realized what he was doing at the time, but he got me and he said, hey, you're our new pastor. We were so excited. 
But can I tell you, I'm more excited than I've ever been because Eastside does get it. It's proof. That certificate up there. So, and I know certificates don't mean anything, but life's change does. And we realize we have a purpose, and our purpose as believers is to share the gospel. But I'm going to tell you, it's so much deeper. It's simple. It really is. Look, life has a purpose. Fulfill it. The charge. He said right here, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. It is the same word used in Deuteronomy that Orthodox Jews prints on a piece of paper and hangs on the inside of their front door. It's called the Shema. It's because that is the Hebrew word, and it literally does not mean just hear, but hear to obey. And it's the same word with the same connotation. He said, hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Listen. That's why I'm excited about experiencing God. Look, six-week Bible groups and small groups are great. And we get a lot done in those. And we talked about this. Hey, are we willing to commit a solid 13 weeks to go even deeper? And when we talked, we said yes. Yes, we need to go deeper. We want to go deeper. To truly, what would happen if we truly experienced God? There's no telling. I still, the fa- one of my favorite places, and I just grasped this, Philip, the other day. I was reading through Acts 17, and I'd always thought about how it was just kind of a commentary that the apostles turned the world upside down. No, it was the lost people. The lost, the world saw the evidence of Christians, those same ones that they called Christians at Antioch. They said they have turned the world upside down. They have, they have rattled us. They have changed the paradigm. I mean, the very DNA of our society has been altered because of these Christ followers. You can change your world at work. You can change your world at your home. You can change your world in your classroom and on your team if you realize, I must first hear to obey. What's God trying to tell us? Through the whole of Ecclesiastes. Look, he, he begins with the end and ends with the beginning. Look, at the very start of Proverbs 1, He said in verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In chapter 9, verse 10, he said the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. So the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of of wisdom, the beginning of real life is the fear of the Lord. Fearing God. And we'll get into what that really means. Let's not get ahead. Fear God. Keep His commandments Judgment is coming. Notice I didn't say because judgment is coming. We should not be motivated. Hear me now, this is important. We should not be motivated to come to church just because we're afraid we'll be in trouble with God if we don't. We ought to come because we love Him so much we want to be here. We love Him so much we want to pray. We want to study God's Word. We do want to experience God. I can remember, listen, unbeknownst to young people, people my age have been your age. And look, 
We may have not listened to Drake and Khaled and whatever you're listening to. We may not have had some of that kind of stuff. But you know what? We had our songs. We, did, we may not have dressed like you did, but we dressed like we did. And it was not like our parents, which didn't dress like their parents. Every, every generation has their thing, right? That's right? What we need to understand is God hadn't changed. The God of the 1940s when the Southern Baptist Convention was still increasing in baptism is still the same God today when our baptism have decreased. So whose, whose fault is that? Fear God, keep His commandments, judgment is coming. We know judgment is coming and it's not that we're motivated because we're afraid we're going to take a whooping, but it should be in the back of our mind. All right? That always was in the back of my mind with my daddy. And even when I was young, when I wasn't where God wanted me to be, ultimately, I didn't want to bring the wrath of my dad down on top of me. But the older I got, it changed from fearing the wrath of God to fearing the breaking of his heart. And the thing of when you get older, the more you want to spend time with them and the more you want to listen and the more you want to cherish that Father that cares for us beyond all imagination. And we keep His commandments and we are motivated by knowing judgment's coming and so we want to share with others. It has been said that Abraham Lincoln made this quote, but it's been proven it, it was much later than that, probably someone else regardless. This antimatabole, form of of English where you change the words though the words are the same you just move them around in its context and it changes the meaning completely listen and in the end it's not the years in your life that counts it is the life in your years like the old saying goes old Mr. Jones died at 30 buried at 70 just quit living, quit caring. Just went through the same old routine. We go to church every Sunday, we sing the same song, we do the same thing. Opening prayer, closing prayer, take up an offering, you know, the same old stuff. God's too big for that. It's the life in your years. Does your life count for the Lord? Are you basking in the fullness that is Jesus, enjoying the, the, the rapture of his, his presence in your life day by day? And so let us hear to obey. And in this listening to obey, we hear the conclusion, the end, the fullness of this entire writing of Ecclesiastes. Notice with me, first of all, the conclusion is fear God. Fear God. Now we get into what this word fear literally means. First of all, if we put it in the context, and, and there's different words for fear throughout Scripture, both in the Hebrew, the Aramaic, Chaldean, Greek, and in others. There's a difference. There's not just one kind of fear. This fear that he refers to in fearing God is to show a humble reverence. We see it with John on the Isle of Patmos. We see it with Moses on Mount Sinai. We see it 
with Elijah. We see it with others that fell as dead men in the presence of a holy God. It is a humble reverence of always remember you. You hear me say it all the time. He's God. We're not. And in this humble reverence, hear this. Fearing God means we acknowledge his deity. He's God. What does that even mean? He is the eternal God. He was the God yesterday. He's the God tomorrow. Man, I feel your pain. Listen, I can prove to you, you hear all the time about the golf gods. I've always heard, you know, the golf gods helped him, the, you know, these great pitch outs. And listen, there are none. Because if there were, we'd have played a lot better Friday than what we played. I mean, we're helping Guido and we're trying to, listen, there is no golf gods. I can, I can tell you, I've been on all kinds of golf courses. If there is, I've never seen one. But I know I know my Redeemer lives. Because I've seen him. We drove around in Pooler. There's no parking gods either. I mean, we had to park at three restaurants down just to get in where we wanted to go. There's one God. There's one mediator. There's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism. It is about Him and Him alone. He's proved Himself over and over and over and over and over. Do you realize the God we worship today is the same God that in the midst of utter turmoil and power and prejudice at the Tower of Babel, he caused it all to stop, all to cease, and they all went away speaking different languages at his command. Do you realize every leaf, every blade of grass, every tree of every species that has ever been known to man was spoken into existence on one day because he's God. Do you know that hundreds of thousands have fallen in one day and there's been many who were dead that was made alive just like Lazarus and just like the child that Jesus raised and all through. And listen, our loved ones who have gone on to be with the Lord, do you know why we have hope? Do you know? Because he is eternal. Not because we are. We're temporal in this body. This body's going back to dust. But when we place our faith, hope, and trust in the eternal God and we acknowledge His deity, He is above and beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine. He is the eternal God. He is without beginning. He's all-powerful. He's, they call it omnipotent. He is without beginning. There is nothing... There is no power. There is nothing that controls Him. Before God, nothing. There is no before God. Before man, God. After man, God. But God is God. God always has been. God always will be. That is why He's God. Out of nothing, ex nihilo, God spoke the world into existence. He is without beginning. Makes him all powerful. That, listen, think about that. Because of that, the world exists. Without him, there is no beginning. It's the, the causality. He was the cause of everything that's happened. No evolution. And, and, and I'm, you'll hear it in just a minute. There's no theistic 
evolution either. I'm going to tell you, God don't make stuff take his hands off because God cares about his creation. God is in control. He's all powerful. You got a problem in this world? Right now, ask yourself, can God handle my problem? David had problems that we can't even imagine. And he asked, can God? Can God do it? I've got news for you. God can do it. Stop with the excuses and turn to God. He's all powerful. He's without change. He's all knowing. He's omniscient. God knows all things. He knows your problem before you do. And the wonderful news, let me ask you, show of hands, has God ever answered your prayer or done anything for you? Raise your hand big and proud. All right, put them down. Why do we think God, if he did that, can't do what we're doing and dealing with now? Is he without change? Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. The eternal God, the God without change, all-knowing. He knows our problems before we do. He knows how to pray for us even when we don't know how. Then why do we not place our faith, hope, and trust in him? He is without change. He knows what you need before you even need it. He cares. Church, he cares. God's not going to be different tomorrow. Don't you hate it? When somebody gets all moody, gets all up in their fields, you know, and you leave work on one day and everything's good. Hey, enjoy the day. We'll see you tomorrow. You show up tomorrow. Maybe you. You're like, wow, did you miss your egg McMuffin this morning? Well, you know, can I, can I go get you a pot of coffee? What, what's the deal? What, you know? And whether you want to admit it or not, even the most joyous people in this room get moody at times. We always want to look at those who are a little extra moody, you know, that little extra drama. But all of us do it. We all do it. We all have bad days. God's never had a bad day. God's never had a bad moment. I I don't know about you, it just blows my mind. He's never had an evil thought. He's never had to wonder, how am I going to fix this? He's without change. That's where our hope is. He's without limits. We've seen he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent. God is everywhere. He's not everything. He's around and over everything, but God's not this pulpit, and God's not this fake flower, and God's not the chairs. That's pantheism or panantheism that that God is just everything. No, God is above everything. He is without limits. You cannot come up with any scenario that you lay awake and miss sleep for to worry about that will challenge an unchanging, limitless God. You just won't. Parents, school's starting back, college is starting back, and those of you... uh, uh, that aren't seeing them, there's several of our college, several have already gone. And the rest of them won't be here next week. So see them. Encourage them. Pray for them. We're going to be publishing all their addresses and numbers and all that. You can send them care pay. I know Emily, she'll walk by her, her, uh, her, her mailbox and she said, I don't know why I do this. I ain't never anything there. <laughs> but that one or two times, when somebody, it makes it worth it. Parents, God has no limits. 
And when you worry, when those taillights go out of sight, they never diminish or disappear from the eyes of God. Parents, aren't you glad of that? When they're in situations in life, look, don't feel like you are the only one that can fix their problems. There's a God so far above anything you could, there's a limit you could go. There's a place where you have to, and listen, if you keep pushing the buttons, God will take you there. God will take you there to show you there's a place you can't go and there are things you can't fix. You've got to stop trying to be God. You, you may not mean it in your head, but you're telling your kid you can fix whatever comes their way. You can't. Can anybody save their kid for all eternity? God can. He sent his son so he could. Hallelujah, man. He loves us that much. Trust him. He's all ever present. You see, he's infinite without beginning. He's immutable. Nothing changes. And he is sovereign beyond anything we could ever believe because there is no limit to a limitless God. Fear God with humble reverence. With loving respect. Here's where we get into it. This, this loving respect means we love we, we, love, we, we fear him out of love, not out of being afraid. We don't, we don't cower down. You, it's like the difference in a dog that's beat and a dog that's trained. When you bark it, when you do something with a dog, you know, a well-trained dog, they may have a collar on and they have these little trainers that have just this little, little motivation that will kind of, we call it light them up. You know, just don't hurt them. It just... Sends them just a little jolt to let them know, hey, stop. But once that dog becomes well-trained, you can turn it down to where you just hit a tone. There's no electricity, there's not just a tone, and they know to stop. You get even past that when they're well-trained and they want to they please their master, you can say whatever you want to say to them, and they'll respond. They won't listen to anybody else. The best dogs in the world I've been around won't listen to anything I've got to say. But their owner and clear his throat. Am I right? I'm going to tell you something. We've got to stop listening to what everybody else says and everybody else does. And we've got to understand there's one who loves us beyond anybody or anything. And we love him out of respect. It's loving his truth. We embrace it. We say, God, your word changes lives. It's his justice. We Listen, he tells us right here in this context. Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear him in, in love, in, in respect for who he is. Does the Bible tell us to love our parents? And if we love our parents, we will honor him, uh, honor them and respect them. Right? Obey them. That's loving truth that our parents have told us and we embrace it. We love God because he's told us the truth and we love him because he loves us enough to tell us that. It's not real love when you lie and try to diminish the issues of life by trying to cover it up because one day that truth's going to smack people right in the face. Tell them the truth. You know what the truth is? There is a real hell to shun. There is a real heaven to gain, and it is really Jesus that is the only answer. We love 
in respect of His truth, of His just... He is a just God. He's just he's fair. So I don't believe anybody, God will send anybody to hell. He don't. But He allows you to go there when you reject the love of His Son that He gave. Make your own choice. Do you love His justice? I don't always embrace it, but I'm glad He's fair. You know what it means? It means you can go to heaven just like anyone else can through Jesus. It means that there is no respecter of persons, that the ground is level at the foot of cross, that he doesn't respect rich people more than he does poor people or vice versa, that it is not about color, it's not about creed, it's not about what island you were raised on. For God so loved the world. That's justice. It's a loving respect of his love. Oswald Chambers said the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Think about that. What will the world do to me if I fear God? The Bible basically said, who cares? I, I mean, Psalm 27.1 says that. I, God loves me, I love Him. Whom shall I fear? The other kind of fear. It's a humble reverence, it's a loving respect in fearing God. But then we are to keep His commandments. How do we keep His commandments? We love Him. How many commandments are there on the tablets in Exodus, Deuteronomy? Ten, right? Ten? Y'all with me? Ten commandments? Y'all watch Charlton Heston? Ten commandments? We've talked, talked about this, especially when, when we went through Christian ethics. There's a division in those ten. There's four on the first tablet and six on the second tablet. The first tablet deals with our vertical ethic, how we are to deal with, respond to, and submit to holy God. The second tablet, the sixth, deals with our uh, horizontal ethic, how we deal with our fellow man. Don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't covet, you know, all those things. The first one deals with, you know, he's God, we're not. He's a jealous God. It's His day. Keep it holy. Don't take His name in vain. Well, Jesus took those Ten Commandments, four on the first, six on the other, and He boiled them down. Can, can we real quickly go to our main logo page, church's logo page? There it is. There is the commandment of God. There's the Ten Commandments summarized by Jesus in Matthew 22. Look at it. You're a member of Eastside. There it is. You've got to accept that because if you don't accept God, you don't accept His commandments, then you are a dying member of the body of Christ. Listen, love God, loving people. He said, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mine. He said, and the second commandment is that you love 
your neighbor as yourself. That is the first commandment summarized. Love God with everything you have. The second command, love everybody else like you love yourself. Can I tell you the truth? When I was seven, almost eight years old, and when I trusted Jesus, my Lord and Savior, can I be real honest with you? I didn't understand about the street of gold. I didn't understand about all the wonderful blessings of, of living the abundant life. And I didn't understand, you know, uh, all the fullness of grace and mercy and the sovereignty of God. And I didn't understand all But what I did understand was I was going to die and go to hell. And I didn't want to. And I understood there was a heaven. I did understand that. I'd heard enough about victory in Jesus. I mean, we sang no red book, okay? I heard heaven's jubilee, and I'm winging my way back home. I heard all those songs. I've never been sorry. Well, I've been sorry a lot. But I want you to know, when I came to that altar, I wasn't fully motiva motivated by the positives. I was motivated, motivated by my sin and wanting a solution to it. I realized I was going to die and go to hell. Now, I see kids all the time. They come to my office or the parents say, hey, can we bring our child? Sure. They came, come in. Don't ever discourage your child. Talk to them. If they see other people making decisions, don't try to discourage them. Don't you dare. You are not the Holy Spirit. You've raised them in church. They've heard the Word of God. They've heard wonderful teachers like Michelle and Joellen and Penny and all through Bible school and all the others. Uh, listen, they've heard it. They've sung it. Why are you surprised that they get it? Don't discourage them. If anything, come and say, hey, they've been talking something about salvation. So come, we'll talk about it. There's times where they're ready. There's other times where, and, and I'm not the final decision either, but I want to help you if I can. I'm your pastor. I want to do that. But there's times where parents have come and say, I'm, I'm not real sure, but we want to talk. Sure. We'll come and we'll talk to them a little bit. And it becomes pretty aware. And me and the parents are looking at each other and we're nodding, but we don't ever discourage them in front of them. Right, parents? We encourage them, encourage them. And you know what? Because we trust the Holy Spirit's going to fulfill that at his moment at his time. They come and they say, so why'd you come in today, Billy? Or Bobby or Sue? or We don't use those words anymore, so I'm real safe. You know, if it's not Brexley or anyway. I say, Billy, what, what, why are you here? I won't be baptized. I said, really, you won't be baptized? That's wonderful. We're excited. We want you to be baptized. Why do you need to be baptized? I don't know. I just, everybody else wants to be baptized. And you know what it is about them at that point? They've heard enough and they've seen it and they want what everybody else, and they're just proud. They're not afraid of water like Sue is. Because there's some get, kids get it, but they're afraid to make, make their acknowledgement of who Christ is in their life because they're scared to death of that baptistry. I get it. I get it. So you just have to work your way through and you express it and you explain it and you try and you, you've got to leave it with the Holy Spirit. But his commandments are that we teach him, preach him, and to all the world we honor him in everything we do. We honor him. 
and how we raise our kids. We honor God because we love the Lord and we love others. That's where it's at. That's why it's our church motto, God's Word, loving God, loving others. We love Him with honor, obedience, and worship. Man, we've had some of the sweetest worship around here in the last several weeks. Good pick on the song. Wonderful, wonderful. When we glorify God, God smiles. God smiles. It's a sweet-smelling savor in heaven. That's part of worship. And look, you may not sing well. You may not sing at all. But a beautiful smile in, in your heart being full of who God is is worship. Smile. Man, Jesus saved me. Jesus saved me. Smile back at them. They're up here playing and stuff. And listen. It looks like all them old hillbillies on the front of hill. You know, gloom, despair, listen, Jesus is alive. He's our hope. He's our joy. And it shouldn't be just a preacher running around acting crazy. I'm not crazy. I'm just saved. I'm saved, he said, to the uttermost. I do now start to understand the abundant life where my, my value is not found in what people think of me. It's what I know Jesus loves me. And I worship Him. Keep His commandments. Love Him. Honor. Obedience. Worship. But love others. This is keeping His commandments. And when we love others, Christ will be exemplified. The world will be evangelized. And the Lord will be glorified in everything in your life. If you glorify Him on Sunday morning, but live like hell Monday through Saturday. There is no glorification of the Lord in your life. Remember that song, Glorify the Lord in all the earth? We sing of the Father, we sing of the Son, we sing of the Holy Spirit. Glorify Thy name in all the earth. That means while you're on vacation, you glorify the Lord. That means in your dress code, you glorify the Lord. That means in your gaming, you glorify the Lord. That means when mom and daddy's not around, you still, you're not motivated by whether you're fearing the presence. Look, God is there. There is nowhere you can run and hide. God made the hiding places. And the sooner you realize that, and the more you become motivated, like we said, out of a loving, humble respect, and honor, then you'll be filled with a, a, a heart's desire to glorify the Lord in all the earth and everything you do. This, he said, is the whole of man. It's God's plan. God's plan for our life, our purpose. Listen to me today. You're worrying about majors in college. You're worrying about your spiritual giftedness. You've taken a 387-question spiritual inventory test, and you didn't like the outcome, so you took the easier one that only had 150 questions. And so you've read all the 12-step help books on how to have crazy love and wonderful hair and everything else to have your, your spirit inbred with it. I'm going to tell you something. It comes down to this. Love God. Fear Him. Keep his commandments. That is the whole of man. Now, now there's fullness within that. I'm not saying just, just think that way and go, but that is everything boiled down. 
Think about it. Jesus boiled it down. Will you love your neighbor as yourself if you commit adultery with them? Are you loving them like you love yourself? If you kill them out of anger and malice, are you loving them like you love yourself? So you broke that. It don't even have to be said, right? If you push an old woman in front of a moving bus, are you loving her like you love yourself? Huh? If you see somebody's wallet in the gym and nobody else is around, you just see it and you pick it up and you slide it in your pocket and nobody will miss it, are you loving your fellow man like you love yourself? You're breaking the whole of God's law. Because he said if you break one, you break them up. If you break that one, you broke the first ones. You say, oh, I just love God, but business is business and church is church. Man, stop lying to yourself. Stop. God is God on April 15th as much as he is on December 25th. That's right. Cheat on your taxes, you're lying. You're lying, you're deceiving, you're deceiving, you're not glorifying the Lord in your heart. Facts are facts. God's plan, this is why we don't have revival, because we have the secret sins of our life that is clouding our judgment from really loving Him, really honoring Him, following His commandments, and having a reverential fear. Finally, judgment is coming. He said, for God, in verse 14, isn't that enough? Not for daddy's coming, not for the armies are coming, not because of political party or, or a dictator somewhere. For God shall bring every work into judgment. What does that even mean? First of all, look, for God, the great judge, he sees it all. He sees it all. I want you to imagine this. I, I've done this on Wednesday night. I may have done it here in the mornings, but I want, I want to show you a picture. This stage is time. And around the outside of this stage is eternity. God is right there. And here's the first day of creation, and the second day, the third day, and the fourth day, and the fifth day, and the sixth day, and the seventh day of sitting down and resting and worship. Okay? A lot happened right here, didn't it? Huh? Yeah. God spoke it into it. You follow me? All right, so you got this. And then throughout time, we pick up around Genesis 6 or something, we start seeing the sins of the world. And we see a flood coming. And we see Noah. And we see the animals. And we see God protecting. And God saving those eight on the on the ark and God sealing the door a sign of his grace and his power and only those he lets in will he let and then we see the door open we see the raven we see the dove and then we see, keep on let me quickly go through then we see Abraham we see Isaac we see the offering of Isaac but we see God take and pull a ram put a ram down there so that Isaac does it because he was more interested in the surrender of Abraham the surrender of Abraham than Isaac but Isaac being that chosen son. And then we see Esau and Jacob. We see that old heel grabber. We see that old red hairy brother. We see him fight. We see him split up. But then we see him back together. Hugging and falling on each other and loving. And we see a, a forgiveness and a mercy that I wish they would show today. But it's only going to come when the Prince of Peace comes. 
And we step on through time and we see Saul, we see David, we see Solomon, we see Rehoboam and Jeroboam. We see the kingdom split. We see Israel and Judah and we see all the way down. Then we see the prophets. We see the pre-exilic prophets. We see the exilic prophets. We see the post-exilic prophets. And then we see the end of the old covenant. And then we see the new covenant. And we see as we're going to begin in a couple weeks, Mark chapter 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we see a, 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 an angel come and speak to Mary. We see a virgin birth. We see a sinless life. We see a vicarious death on the cross, a burial in a borrowed tomb, and a glorious resurrection. Forty days later, we see an ascension. And 2,000 years later, we look around and we see us. Now I want you to think about it. Where is eternity? Because you see, you go through, and if, and for the sake of time, I want you to just imagine my, my personal theory. I believe in a literal tribulation period. The rapture happens before it, then seven years of tribulation, then the second coming of Christ, a true millennial reign. But at the end of time, when all is said and done, when Satan is loose from that bottomless pit for just a little season, and God slams the door on him and casts him into an outer lake of fire, and that white throne judgment takes place, and all that's lost shall be cast into outer darkness, the second death where the worm dieth not, where there's gnashing of teeth, and all of time shall be done away with. There's a new heaven and a new earth where there are no watches, there are no clocks. Eternity is there just as it was there. And it's never changed. You see, God is looking at that day, first day of creation, just like He is that last day of time and today all at one time. It's one panoramic picture because God's standing outside. Y'all get that? That's a, but it's true. It's mind-boggling, but it's true because God is eternal. God is the great judge that gives him the power and the presence to do. He is the great judge. He shall bring in power and certainty every work in the judgment. You think you've hidden something? It's not hid. It's not hid. Every work into judgment. What, are, what is every work? Look what he said. He said, I'll bring every work. Work is a sign of that which is done outwardly that other men can see. Moses thought he had done his people a favor, but it came to backfire on him because others had saw him bury the Egyptian in the sand. And God said, make sure you know your sin will find you out. Every work is everything seen. But he also said right here that he'll bring it with every secret thing. You may have hidden it from mama, daddy, brother, sister, wife, everybody. You've hidden it. You've not hid it from God. Everything good, he says, and everything evil, judgment's coming, church. Stop living like time is going to just keep ticking on. There's going to be a day. There's a day coming. Where our holy God, our heavenly Father is going to look to his right hand and say, Son, go get your bride. There truly is a great day coming, by and by. But I'm going to tell you, we're down to just one by. 
not by and by. Paul looked for it in his day, did he not? John said, even so, Lord, come quickly in his day. It's, time is fleeting. Are you ready for that great judgment day? As they come to the instruments, I want to conclude this book. Don't quit on me now. You're sitting out there. You're not playing instruments. You're not singing. I want you to hear this last, this last conclusion. He's looked at it. He said, life is monotonous. Life is useless. Life is not fun. But we've seen over the last four weeks, life is exciting. Life can be exciting. It's not monotonous. Life is a gift. But you've got to open it. Life is an education. We need to be learning from it. Today, life has purpose. Solomon died a broken man, but trying to tell those after him, don't go the way I did. Fear God with a humble reverence, with a loving respect. Follow God by loving Him and loving others. Be for God. For God is the God of all comfort. God is the God of all judgment. Hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Keep His commandments. God said, you must be born again. Christians, He said, you must be on commission. You must teach and preach and baptize. You must worship. Look, follow His commandments. Love God. Keep His commandments. For this is the whole of mankind. I told you it was an important message. This is a life-altering, life-changing message when you understand it's God's message for us, for you, for me today. If you're lost without God, there is no hope apart from Jesus Christ. You know that now, and you need to come. Come take me by the hand and say, Preacher, I'm lost. I want, I want to call on Jesus. I'll pray with you. If you say, I'm saved, but I have not feared God. I've not been keeping His commandments. I want to rededicate my life. You ain't got to tell me. Just come to the altar. Leave today embracing who God is in your life. Right now, stand. Come. Come to Jesus.